there, Green Future Growers. Thanks for joining us today. If you're new to the show, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes or your favorite Android app. And let's get growing. FreeGardenCourse.com Mike and I have developed some lessons to help you create your very own organic oasis. We'll guide you through the steps to build your perfect natural landscape, an edible earth-friendly yard, a sustainable deep bed garden, or even start a small profitable market farm. We'll show you how to save time, lower your produce bill, collect usable data, eat healthy nutritious food with minimal labor, um, use the most effective and efficient production methods currently being used in backyard gardens as well as market farms, and maybe even help you find some profitable markets. We've designed it to save you time, lower your produce bill, and help you eat healthy, nutritious food. Um, there's checklists, there's outside reading, video assignments. Uh, you can join the online Facebook community where there's lots of people from around the world to help you get your garden started today. So remember, freegardencourse.com. Welcome to the Organic Gardener Podcast Day. I am just like, I'm having the best day. Like I got up this morning and I've been all excited because I'm going to talk to two amazing guests that I know you're going to love. One's a listener that I actually talked to once this summer and we're going to record an interview today. And then today we have um, just an awesome friend that Andrea Catherine introduced me to. She's written um, the greatest book called Cooking with Scraps. Turn your peels, cores, rinds, and stems into delicious meals. And it's just like something I'm super passionate about and learning about. And she's got, she blogs at this place called Food 52. And ever since I've been there, I get their emails and just, I know she's got great blog posts you're going to love. And so uh, here to talk to us today is Lindsay Jean Hard. Welcome to the show, Lindsay Jean. Thank you. So... Uh, so your book's called Cooking with Scraps, Turn Your Peels, Cores, Rinds, and Stems into Delicious Meals. And I was just saw it somewhere yesterday, either on Instagram or a blog post or somewhere, or maybe it was even on the news, about broccoli stems actually ha- being like more nutritious for you than the, like the florets and everything. And so maybe we're going to learn a little something about nutrition today too, not just cooking recipes. Am I right? <laughs> well, I don't have like a nutritional background at all, but it is true that there is a lot of nutrients and great things in the peels, especially of things which we tend to discard a lot. So there definitely is, you know, a, a nutritious reason for us to be eating our scraps as well. Oh, yeah. And that was the other thing that um, sugar, the peel sugars that were like in the pages um, where I was like looking at your book, uh those look awesome because I'm always trying to eat more fiber and I know a lot of the fiber I think is in the peel of the we're just getting me to eat fruit <laughs> so I get more fibers uh, for me fruit's a struggle so I don't know that looked like a cool thing there too yeah those are really fun to make so well, why don't you tell us a little about yourself because like I'm so excited that you have a master's in urban planning and just a passion for sustainability and um, just to tell listeners a little bit about your, I don't know, whatever you want to share. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, my path to where I am now has definitely been an interesting one. Um, like you said, I got my master's in urban planning, um, here in Ann Arbor, Michigan at the university of Michigan. And I worked, um, for our local downtown development authority for a couple years, um, So that was a solid two years that I put that master's to good use. And then my husband and I moved to Japan. And um, there's really where I got into cooking and, um, you know, the intersection of cooking and writing. We joined a CSA when we were there for the first time. So we would walk down the street to our little neighborhood grocery store and we would pick up this box of vegetables that local farmers had grown. And um, it was a big learning process for me. I had never seen a lot of these things before. So every week I was walking into the store to ask, you know, what it was that was in my box and how I should be using it. And, you know, that's really where I first started thinking um, on some some level about cooking with scraps, because I was thinking about these farmers taking this time and energy to grow all of these beautiful things. And I wanted to make sure that I was putting it all to great use. And then while we were there, um, friends of ours from college told us that they were going to start a website um, all about finding food that you feel good about eating. Um, and that was realtimefarms.com. And it was a 
resource for people to find farmers near them and learn about their growing practices and connect with restaurants and see where those restaurants were sourcing their ingredients from. Um, and it was a really exciting time to be working for a startup and be um, writing. And um, then from there, we were actually acquired by food52.com, um, the website that you mentioned. It's a food and lifestyle website. And then I worked for them for six years and did community management. I started two um, Facebook groups for them that still live on to this day, a cookbook club and a baking club. And I wrote a lot. And one of my columns was actually cooking with scraps where I was searching through the website because it's um, community based. Anyone can upload recipes. And I would hunt for recipes that people had shared that were making great use of underutilized produce parts and other odds and ends. And I just learned so much from the Food 52 community at that time while I was sharing their recipes that I wanted to share that with a broader audience. And that's really where this cookbook came from. Wow. It's almost like a real life Julia and Julia in a different, more modern way. Uh, <laughs> and I'm sure right along with that, there were ups and downs and struggles. And it sounds so um, amazing, almost like it was in a fairy tale. But I'll bet in real life, it, it wasn't as easy as you made it sound. But what an exciting, like interesting thing. And I love that because... Um, my mom was making this vegetable stock recently from like all the scraps we were going to throw in the compost. And she's like, you know what? I'm just going to cook that into a vegetable broth. And so, uh, that was a really interesting thing to, um, to see her do just so easily. And so, but in Japan besides like, and so then I'm thinking like, so did the store, like that was where they got all their produce or did they have like a regular produce thing and just some people belong to the CSA? Like that's such a unique idea that maybe I don't yeah, know what's going on, it was, I hadn't heard of. Yeah, it was so fun. And it just, we had found this, it was a cute, tiny little neighborhood grocery store. We had found when we went on a preview trip to find our apartment and one of my husband's colleagues found the store, introduced us to the owner, like let the owner know that we were going to be there and, you know, would appreciate, you know, friendly faces. Um, and then it just, so we were already regularly shopping there, but then one day I saw these boxes of vegetables outside. And so I knew what was going on, but I didn't have enough of the language skills to get me to sign up for that. So we had to have, um, a friend come and help us get signed up for this CSA. And they did carry a small amount of other types of produce and, it was really funny because, um, you know, some of the things I learned to really love, but some of them just never resonated with me. And so there was this, it's called a Yama Emo and it was like a mountain yam and it's really slimy when you grate it. Oh. And it was the only thing that I just, I could not get past the texture of. Um, and so I would sneak it into other people's CSA boxes and, <laughs> <laughs> the owner of the store found out that I was doing that. He just about fell over laughing and he was like, you don't have to do that. Like, just tell us if you don't like something and we'll swap it out for you. So oh, yeah, <laughs> it was a really great experience. What other exciting things did you find that you hadn't cooked before? Um, there were a lot of different greens um, that I hadn't been exposed to and then learned to love. Um, and I mean, even just things like variations of bok choy, like I started cooking with more and um, greens like Mizuno or Mizuna. And um, I loved lotus root. Like that's one of my favorite things now that I like hunt out at Asian markets to cook with. Um, so yeah, it was a lot of different things. And what do you do with lotus root? Um, I like to slice it to really show off its really pretty lacy pattern and then um, sort of saute it um, with a little bit of soy sauce. So now that you're back in Michigan, like, is it a totally different climate? Like, can you grow any of these things there? Um, I have not added many of those things to my garden. I would like to, but I'm not great at starting with seed. I tend to start with little starter plants most of the time. The one exception is shiso, the herb. I really love that. And um, so I will grow that from, from seed almost every summer. 
Hmm. What does that taste like? Like a licorice or like a basil or like I have no um, idea what that yeah, is. Yeah, it's a cousin of basil. Um, it's just got a little bit more of a spicy bite to it than basil does, but they're similar. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've actually been talking for a while before. I usually ask you right in the beginning, like, what was your very first gardening experience like? Like, were you a kid? Were you an adult? Who were you with? Like, what did you grow when you were your very first garden? Like, was it before you went to Japan or after? Or... No, I actually think it was in Japan for the very first time. We um, would walk around the neighborhoods and people would grow things in pots. Like, most people don't have a ton of space, but most people do have like a little bit of a porch or a lanai. And they would grow all sorts of things in pots. And we're like, well, we can do this too. And so we got um, a couple of essentially window boxes and put them on our patio and um, tried to grow a few things from seed. And I don't think anything was super successful, but um, you know, it, it got under our skin enough that when we moved back from Japan, we did start a garden at our own house. I think growing things from seed, like Mike makes it look really easy, but I think it's kind of hard. I think the biggest thing is just like having the patience and like making sure you water it a few times a day. Like he mists everything in the beginning to like kind of saturate it instead of, instead of like pouring water on it that kind of almost drowns it. He'll just like mist and he'll like push mm. that spray bottle like totally almost gets carpal tunnel I think sometimes from <laughs> the light misting he'll do when he starts and then like he starts everything in like a small pot and then transplants it and he's like using this knife it's almost like doing surgery so I oh, totally wow. understand the want to start from starts thing uh the yeah. only thing I do yeah. good with seed is like something that like I can broadcast out <laughs> like buckwheat yes or sunflower seeds Yes. Yeah. And especially with Michigan climate, like I just don't like I would have to be starting indoors and I can't figure out the space and how to make that work. Can totally relate there too. So then how did you learn how to garden organically? Like was it in Japan or when you came home or Um, you always were gonna because of the um, urban planning thing or? Yeah, I, you know, I've always been interested in sustainability and um, the environment has always mattered to me. So it's, it wasn't something that I consciously thought like I'm going to organically garden. Like it was more of just, I don't want to put pesticides and other like chemicals on what we're growing. And so it's, it's really been just a trial and error. We moved back from Japan in 2010 and I think we started putting in the raised beds maybe a couple years later. So it's been about six years of expanding our garden and really just learning as we go. And we're lucky to have like a home and garden shop right downtown Ann Arbor that we really love. And we can just go and ask questions and get help when we need it. Ooh, maybe you could introduce me to someone from there that would want to come on and talk. Sure. So what about something that maybe grew well this year or last season, last summer? Uh, man, the squirrels and chipmunks were um, our nemesis this past summer. <laughs> we lost a lot of our garden. We, uh, we have four raised beds and then they are surrounded by um, raspberry bushes. So the raspberries always do very well with very little attention Um from us other than thinning them out and we have a number of rhubarb plants too so those always do really well too without much interaction from us um we tried a different spot for tomatoes this year um and it didn't work out quite as well as i would have liked um but it was a good experiment what, so what did you do different? Like, were they in more sun or filtered sun or what, like what worked and what didn't? Well, we have, there's four garden boxes and one of them is like much more sunny and it's really the perfect box for the tomatoes. Mm-hmm. Um, except that we had had tomatoes there for a couple years in a row mm-hmm. and um, we haven't really done much with like testing the soil or amending the soil other than mixing in our own compost mm-hmm. that um, we make. So we just tried to shift entirely away from our four raised beds and put them on the side of our garage and they don't get as much sunlight as 
the other box did. So I think they just did not get enough sun was the issue. Sure. Uh, I know exactly how that goes. We've had that um, here too as well where like you move things. But you have to at some points because uh, like you said to do that rotation of crops and adding like some you know if you put green beans there then it'll get nutrient you know nitrogen in the soil and just putting different things in. But um, yep. Well, so how about, is there something you're excited to try next year? Um, I haven't thought too much about it yet, um, but I would like to, we've done cucumbers in the past and I love how prolific those tend to be. So I think I want to get those back in the garden again this year. We did um, lemon cucumbers a few years ago and I loved having those on hand. They're just so pretty. Before we get to the root of things, we're going to thank our sponsors and affiliate links. Freegardencourse.com. Mike and I have developed some lessons to help you create your very own organic oasis. We'll guide you through the steps to build your perfect natural landscape, an edible earth-friendly yard, a sustainable deep bed garden, or even start a small profitable market farm. We'll show you how to save time, lower your produce bill, collect usable data, eat healthy, nutritious food with minimal labor, um, use the most effective and efficient production methods currently being used in backyard gardens as well as market farms, and maybe even help you find some profitable markets. We've designed it to save you time, lower your produce bill, and help you eat healthy, nutritious food. Um, there's checklists, there's outside reading, video assignments. Uh, you can join the online Facebook community where there's lots of people from around the world to help you get your garden started today. So remember, freegardencourse.com. This is Robin Kelson from the Good Seed Company. We sell heirloom seeds for common use. We offer vegetable, herb, flower seeds, um, locally adapted for our area and uh, all open pollinated and heirloom, a lot of them organic or ecologically farmed. We also sell seed collections to help you uh, to help new gardeners be successful in their growing. We sell flower collections that are good for pollinators. We sell medicinal herbs and culinary herbs, all sorts, all sorts of seeds that would be um, of interest to new and experienced gardeners. www.goodseedco.net now let's get to the root of things well we kind of already talked about something that didn't work so well i guess right with the tomatoes so uh this is actually kind of the part where we get to i call getting to the root of things and like (laughs) do you have like a least favorite activity or something you have to force yourself to go out and do in the garden hmm i I don't mind weeding at all. Um, I like sitting there and picking out the weeds. I don't like dealing with bug infestations, mainly because I don't have a ton of knowledge in that area. Like I said, it's all, it's been like learning by trial and error for us. So it's frustrating for me to like see bugs on something and then have to like go back inside and start Googling and see if like, you know, vinegar water or like hot pepper water is going to take care of it or if I have to figure something else out. You know, I talked to this woman, Siri Jostad, who has this plant app and you can like download it and it really like, because I think it like even goes as deep as like your zip code and will help you figure out uh, the answer to your question if you're struggling with a plant. Oh. Uh, And then yesterday I was talking to this interesting guy who's more like on the farm scale like way big farms and he was talking about if you have healthy plants and you have a way to make your healthy plants like it'll get rid of any kind of a bug infestation like Japanese beetles you name it like if your plants are healthy because everybody's been talking about 
healthy soil. And he was talking about having healthy plants will give you healthy soil and ways to use photosynthesis to like, and then he was getting way too scientific for me, like talking about sugars in the roots and this and that, and how it was going to make the plant produce more photosynthesis. So it was capturing more carbon and therefore a healthier plant. And therefore the bugs and pests were just not going to be a problem. So I'm curious to learn a lot more about what he was really talking about and how to go about it. And, um, how it can work for smaller gardeners, but definitely bugs. I know like people were talking, I talked to this one listener this summer who was talking about like her zucchinis were going to be like $42 a pound if she really had to sell them for all the <laughs> bugs that she was digging out and hand picking and the beetles and just different struggles. So, oh. um, and you don't mind weeding. Is that because you have deep beds and you can sit on the side of them or you have like a good place to relax? Like what, what makes weeding uh, one of your favorite activities? I don't know. I think it's almost meditative. Like sure. you just get into the zone of just a small repetitive action and yeah. Uh, so I guess is weeding your favorite activity? Cause that's usually where I go next is on the flip side, what's your favorite activity? Is it weeding or is there something else? I would say picking what I'm sure. growing and then cooking with it for sure. So do you want to share some recipes and things that you like? Like, what are some tips for people that are cooking with scraps? And like, what do you think people would like maybe be surprised that they could use like a scrap maybe that they were like, no way could I cook with that? Well, I think the two most surprising recipes in the cookbook are um, my banana peel cake. um, Because most people... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, most people don't think that banana peels are edible, um, but they in fact are, and it t- makes for a delicious moist cake. Um, and then the second one is coffee grounds. And I know that you know gardeners love coffee grounds for their garden, but they also still carry a lot of that coffee flavor with them. So I like to cook with spent coffee grounds. Um, in the cookbook, I'm using them in a nut butter. So they add coffee flavor and then they add a nice like crunchy texture to it. Um, and then on food52.com, I have a French silk pie recipe that uses coffee grounds two different ways. Uh, the first way is to infuse whipping cream for the topping. And then the second, um, they're used directly in the crust along with some crushed chocolate cookies. And that was another thing that I saw that was super surprising. Like, was it like you were whipping the stuff that comes with the beans? Like you take a can of beans and then this part that you drain and you were like making a whipped cream out of that? Yeah. So that bean liquid is called aquafaba and it's a really fun ingredient to play around with. Um, It's just the cooking water from beans or other legumes, and you can use it if you're making them from dried. Um, But if you haven't played with aquafaba before, I think it's much easier to start with the liquid that comes from a can of beans. And it behaves in a lot of ways like egg whites. So you can um, whip it up and it forms peaks just like if you were whipping egg whites. I use it um, a couple of ways in the cookbook. One is to make a mayonnaise. So you can make like a vegan mayonnaise with it. Um, And then you can also use it in baking. So in the cookbook, I'm using that um, in brownies. And uh, the brownie recipe in the cookbook isn't vegan, but it's one that can easily be adapted to be that. So yeah, it's just really fun to play with and see it form peaks. But when you add sugar to it, it doesn't taste like whipped cream, I imagine. Oh yeah. It wouldn't work for whipped cream, but it would work for like, you could make meringues with it. Um, you would probably want to add like some sugar and maybe some cocoa powder or some other flavoring, because if you do it straight up, they do taste a little bit beany. Uh, but actually if you just cook up eggs that would be like you wouldn't want to eat that without a bunch of sugar in it either but you know what i have like the strangest recipe i always think it's like this huckleberry coffee cake recipe and you separate the eggs and you whip the egg whites in that recipe and i just always think i'm always like whoever came up with this like maybe that's a thing that people whip up eggs that i didn't know about how did you like come up with this passion for cooking and it was it from working with that blog and just being over there with that different food in japan or just have you always been interested in cooking or 
Um, I've always liked food and cooking. Um, it didn't really be start to become more of a big thing for me until we were living in Japan. Um, from the CSA and from being in a really, we had a really tiny kitchen. We didn't have an oven. We had a fish broiler drawer. Um, so learning how to adapt things to be much smaller and cook basically in a broiler instead of in an oven or on the stovetop. And I started um, documenting my cooking experiences um, and experiments on a blog for the first time. So yes, that really is like where cooking became a bigger deal for me. And then both working for that startup, Real Time Farms, and working at Food 52, like just being surrounded by people that are incredibly passionate about food and cooking and learning a lot during that time. So fascinating. Uh, how about like, what's the best gardening advice you've ever received? <sighs> that's a good one. I, you know, it's mostly, we've mostly gone to um, that gardening store that I mentioned for advice on like different organic products to try. I don't know that I've specifically um, asked for advice on growing things. Um, I think well, one of the like, best things. Is there something that they were like, try this and that worked really well that you were surprised about or excited about? Cause. Um, I think when we first started growing raspberries, I got really excited when they started growing like more densely and we'd have more and more canes coming up. And I didn't know that you were supposed to thin them out. So I think that was one of the most helpful things I learned from one of our neighbors in our neighborhood was, I think he said like three stalks per every 18 square inches or something. So it was like, it was much thinner than what I had known to do so that helped our raspberry our wall of raspberries a lot to start thinning them out a little bit mm -hmm. that is a good tip for listeners i'm always talking about grow raspberry bushes but we had like the weirdest thing like last year or the year before they just kind of like i don't know what happened they kind of got overrun by grass or they just faded away or just i don't know so we had to start like a whole new plot uh last year so i'm curious to see how it goes, but I love raspberries. It's like so I love fun, them right? too. Going out there with a bowl and just getting fresh raspberries for breakfast. Oh my gosh, yes. We barely ever make it in with the bowl, though. We right. have a seven-year-old seven daughter who likes to just go out and snack on them, so they don't always make it inside. Yeah, and I just like one of my goals for 2019 is to plant more blueberry bushes and raspberry bushes. Uh, get these going because I just like so. Last year, I tried this like reduce my plastic um you know try to not buy anything in plastic if I could and it just seemed like I was constantly buying strawberries and blueberries in plastic and there's some of my favorite vegetables and just yeah I'd be like am I really gonna like have to deal with all this plastic just for that little bit of food that maybe is healthy but I don't know so I'm hoping that's a really great goal how did you do with it uh, well so a friend of mine did it the year before um tried to go as plastic free as she could and so i i don't know i did not do as well as i would have liked so next year like i said i really want and i also like happened to go over to a friend of mine's house that she's like less than a mile as the crow flies through the woods and she had these monster blueberry bushes growing and i was Ugh. like oh my gosh well if you can grow these right here i can grow them and i'm and she said she just got them at lowe's a couple of years ago and they've just they were just monster and i think we tried them before and I think we just maybe didn't have them in the right place. So they didn't get watered enough. And maybe, um, I don't really know what happened because it was way before I paid attention to anything. I just know they didn't make it. I am going to try again. I would like to add more berry bushes too. I think that's a good goal for 2019. Yeah. And so hopefully I'll eat more berries because it is the kind of fruit that I like. I usually complain on my show that I don't like fruit because it's too messy. <laughs> my mom's like, You're just silly. And I'm like, but I eat a lot of fruit in the car. And like even pears can be like juice dribbling down my chin. I'm just like, oh. Or, you know, orange, peeling an orange takes two hands. Yes. The only yes. time I really like to eat an orange is when I'm in the woods and I can just flick the peels out into the woods. <laughs> and then I usually bring wipes in my pockets even like... Unless there's snow and I can just wipe my hands on the snow. But anyway, um, yeah, I'm excited for more fruit. How about a favorite tool? Like if you had to move and could only take one tool, was there some cool tool you got in Japan or? 
No, we should have. I have thought about that multiple times since that they do have very cool gardening tools. Um, but since we were just doing the little windowsill boxes at that time, we didn't think about it, but we should maybe do that whenever we get back and visit next. Um, I would say just like the, the tiny handheld, um, shovel I find the most useful and I use, I turn to the most often. Yeah. Did you get to go actually see any of the farms or any gardens when you were there? Like you talked about kind of a neighbor maybe talking to you. Like, did you learn any neat things? Because I'm sure there's, I know there's great gardeners. I mean, a lot of people talked about, what is his name that wrote the One Straw Revolution is from Japan, right? Yeah, we saw a lot of um, rice patties. I didn't see a lot of other um larger gardens or farms. Um, I would say I probably learned more about rice than I had known before by going there. And like our friends would get really excited when it was like the, I forget whether it was the spring harvest or the fall harvest of the rice, because they felt like that was the best rice and it tastes so much different at different times. And yeah, it was one of those, it's true with all sorts of different crops, but like I just hadn't been exposed to that much rice before. So I hadn't thought about that before. Did you learn different ways to like different ways to cook it and sh- and eat it then? Um yeah, we bought <laughs> we bought a rice cooker which we still we brought back with us and still cooker. use and it's still going strong. The only thing is I only know how to like push one button, so I can't make it do as much as I would like it to do. Um but yeah, we do eat a lot of rice and I I like to um, form it into rice balls and like lightly fry them on all sides. So it's like a handheld thing. I actually have a recipe for that in the cookbook too. Um, And it's making use of corn cobs since corn cobs, if you're slicing off the corn, still have, you know, little bits of corn and that great corn milk and corn flavor. So if you use those corn cobs and cook the rice along with it, then they get infused with that corn flavor. Mm. Mike made me, there was one time when I was really, really sick during the summer and Mike had harvested his corn and he fed me the broth from the corn. And I know it just, it was like this vegetarian chicken soup that just saved me. Like I was so much healthier instantly after being really sick for like two days. It was just the greatest. So I'll bet that's delicious. Yeah. And I'll, I'll bet those rice balls are awesome with, um, the corn cobs and my mom always used to eat the inside like she would chew her corn cob down to nothing she's always like oh it's so good (laughs) I haven't tried that maybe I should so what is your favorite recipe you like to cook from the garden um I would say probably I really like um will often grow like butternut squash or other um hard winter squashes and I like to make, um, I have a recipe in the book for pumpkin gut scones and it makes use of all of that stringy webbing that, um, you know, I think we often know to roast the seeds of any winter squash is delicious, but, um, often that the stringy webbing will get discarded into the compost bin. And that, um, is just as flavorful as the flushes. And when you cook it down a little bit and blend it up, it's, um, adds a great moisture and flavor to scones. So, that's one of my favorites. Mm, I love scones. Uh, you know, when I cook, I'm trying to think of when I cook my pumpkin. I mean, I think I just try to peel the seeds out of it. I don't know if I throw that stuff away or not. I love the way I fell in love with the squash this fall called, it was like a cabanaza squash or a, I don't know. Joyce Pinson told me about it, but the one I got came from Jamaica and I'm going to see if we can grow that next year because Ooh. it was so thick. It was like using a pumpkin. And then also my friend Dacia had this Cinderella pumpkin come up in her compost pile from the seed <laughs> she bought at the farmer's market down in Libby, which is like 50 miles from us. And so then she shared that with me and we saved the seeds and we're hoping because the two of that, I mean, it's just amazing the difference, the thicker the skin and the thicker that pulp is can make on, um, on what you're cooking, I think. And I have this recipe for this thing. It's, it's called chili and squash, but I've always used pumpkin with it. That was so good. Ooh, that sounds great. So I'm hoping I'm going to have luck with both of those. I don't know if the, I think it's cassava squash that came from Jamaica, if that's going to work because Jamaica is so different than Montana. Yeah. Um, it might not grow here, but. 
Might Never know to... until you try, though. Yeah. So we might be able to figure something out. How about a favorite internet resource? Is it the Food 52 blog I or have, something else? Yeah. Or... I have to shout out food52.com one more time. It's just, it's so great for a variety of things, you know, from finding interesting articles um, to then that whole collection of recipes from the community. I mean, people are uploading recipes every day and you can find something for anything that you're looking for. Yeah. And get on the email list because it's fun to be. I It's one of the emails I get surprised and excited about when I see it pop up in my email. Uh, how about a favorite reading material, like a book or a magazine or you already kind of talked about the blog website. So Hmm. Yeah, I, I am most often turning to the internet, I think for gardening specific things. I don't know if I have like a book. Do you have a book that you read last year that you would recommend? Ooh. Uh, it's hard to pick one. I just did an interview with this woman whose book is going to come out in January. Actually, that's all about fruit trees, bushes, um, and growing fruits uh, in the Northwest. And so that's also got me excited because she's got like some great pruning tips in there. Cause I've been, my mom sent me these Cutco pruners last summer that I just fell in love with. And so I'm really excited to learn more about that. And we just harvest, we've been like harvesting more fruit every year at my house. And so I think I would have to say that and, um, growing berries and fruit trees in the Pacific Northwest, how to grow abundant organic fruit in your backyard. Tara Austin Weaver is her name. And so oh. I would say that's one of the best books I read last year. I'm trying to think of any other, uh, I don't want to forget about, uh, one of the ones that I love. Well, one of the interviews that I did that I love the most was for Valentine's day was with, um, the guy who does cooking videos for men's health, which huh. I don't know, people, apparently my listeners weren't as excited about it as I was. I don't think it's gotten as many downloads as I thought it would. Paul Keita. Um, so it's, uh, he wrote, but yeah, he wrote, I thought if I actually had a farmer's market booth, I thought I would sell his book. It's called a man, a pan and a plan. And his <laughs> videos on YouTube are so fun to watch. He just like has this great personality and, um, he just uh, makes cooking and he really made me like, he talked to, we talked about the cleanup afterwards because that's one of the things I struggle with um, is the cleanup of like the smell of fish. But like he also like, I just used one of the tips I learned from his thing the other day about like how to like get the avocado peel out of the avocado. Like you just like kind of like stick the knife in it really hard without breaking, like without slicing your finger open. But anyway, and then kind of <laughs> twist it. I don't know. You have to watch the video. Don't listen to me. Um, and then also that woman I was telling you about with the smart plan app, Siri Jostad also has a book club and there were some great books in her book club that I loved and I joined her book club and she was just, um, an amazing guest. So oh, I would say those cool. are the three that stand out to me that I read the most this year was, it was so exciting getting Terrace actually sent me a copy of her book. It was so funny. I went on Amazon to um, leave her a review and you couldn't because the book hadn't even come out. It doesn't come out to the end of the month, which is why I haven't <laughs> interview, but I think you'll love that one. And then uh, also, like I said, series book club is really cool. And the Paul Kida, I just love the men's health magazine, even though I'm not a man, I still think his videos are so fun to watch. Well, I will have to check those out. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Uh, okay. Um, so let's see, this is actually where I get to the part, um, where I kind of ask for like any business advice, like, cause my listeners are green future growers and there are people who I generally like maybe have a business related to farming. Um, but maybe not necessarily like my husband and I, like, I don't know, are we ever going to sell stuff at the market? I don't know if we're ever going to get there. Our goal is to grow enough food for us and then maybe we'll have some extra, I don't know. It just seems like so much work for my husband to grow what he can just to feed us. 
um, if we'll ever have enough. Like, I can't even imagine having enough water to water that much food. But there are other people. But anyway, <clears throat> so my listeners have, like, seed companies or they, like, teach people. They're educators. So, like, do you want to talk about, like, getting a book published? Like, the process? Like, or maybe becoming, like, a food writer? I know a lot of them that do have farmer's markets. Maybe they want to put out, like, a newsletter. Like, do you have any secrets or tips or any kind of, like you know, professional advice since you've made, seem to be making a living writing about food. Like this is so cool. Yeah. I feel very lucky to be where I am. And especially when I was, um, actively working at food 52, I still, I still contribute there now occasionally, but I'm not working for them. But when I was, I would get asked a lot about how to get into the food writing business. Um, and I think it's similar to so many things. Like it's just about being really passionate about what you're doing. You know, if you want to write and you want to start a blog, like just get out there and do it. You don't have to be, you know, getting so many hits and so many readers like right off the bat. Like I think if you're really passionate about what you're doing, like that'll come through in your writing and eventually, you know, that following will come. And also being really open to opportunities that present themselves. I um, had told a couple of my girlfriends um, that a goal of mine was to write a book, um, you know, years ago, but I didn't have a plan laid out for, you know, what that would be or how that would work. But, you know, just putting that out into the universe and really believing in that and cultivating my columns on Food 52, you know, then the opportunity presented itself to, write a cookbook and you know I was ready and open for that new experience um and you know being willing to learn along the way like I I'd, I'd never written a book before I'd never gone through the publishing process and it really is a big learning process so you know going with the flow and then trying to ask as many questions as you can from people that you know in the business. Um, even people that I didn't know really well, like I had sort of business relationships with some other authors and it was really great to be able to reach out and say like, is this normal? Like, is this how it works? Like how, how do you navigate this space? Um, because people that have been there are generally really open and willing to share their advice to help you on your journey. So did you start out with an agent and like a table of contents and everything? Or did you have like the book start to finish done before you like submitted it to people like? Um, I did not. I think my case was maybe a little bit unusual from what I've heard since going through it. But um, so I had my the column on Food 52. Um, but that was mostly sharing other people's recipes Um not my own as much, um, but a publisher, um, I'm working with Workman Publishing, and they actually found me through the column and said, you know, do you have any interest in writing a cookbook? And I said, as a matter of fact, I do. Um, so they gave me a certain amount of time to present them uh, with a plan and what the table of contents would look like for that. And then once they approved that, I had nine months to actually come up with all of those recipes. What was it like, like writing a column? Like, cause that's where I struggle. My mom, like, I feel like if I could write a garden column, I could easily get one of the local papers to cover it. But then I'll like go and try to write a, you know, like 300 words or 500 words or something about a topic. And I just go blank. (laughs) <laughs> or I can write like one paragraph and I'm like, well, then what do I say? And just like, do you have any like suggestions for like, do you start out with like 52 subject lines, one per week or something or? Yeah, I think for that case, especially if you're pitching it to like a local newsletter, it would be, it would help to come up with, you know, a handful of topics ahead of time and making sure that they're ones that you're personally really excited about. Um, because that does make such a difference of like, you know, if it's a mediocre topic or you don't really care, like it's easy to just write the one paragraph and be like, oh, like I have no idea what else to say about this. But if it's something that you're super knowledgeable about, it's a lot easier to keep going and continue sharing that wisdom and writing it all out. And you were like researching kind of like I do with like my podcast where I'm not as much the gardener, although I have like now that I've been doing my podcast, I've learned a lot, but 
usually my husband does most of the gardening and is that kind of like how you start like you were learning what other people's recipes were and then trying them and kind of like incorporating your own twist and then taking what you had learned yeah absolutely and I knew that I wanted the book to be laid out A to Z um, because rather than like lumping it into like appetizers and main dishes, like I really wanted it to be more of a reference guide for people. So something that they could pick up and access when they're like, oh, like I have this scrap left over. What do I do with it? So something that's easy to turn to for that. Um, So then that meant like I really I didn't fill in completely A to Z, but I wanted there to be a nice flow and feel like you're going through, you know, the alphabet of scraps. So in some cases that was trying to then figure out like, well, what can I have like within this section, like looking for other scraps that would make sense to work to fill in some blanks. I totally understand. Uh, okay. Well, anything else you want to tell us about the book before I get to my final question? Um, well, like I said, I really hope that it's a reference guide. Um, and I think sometimes cooking with scraps can be intimidating or overwhelming, and I want to help prove that that's not the case. So these recipes are all really simple. Um, They have pretty short ingredient lists with easy-to-find ingredients. Um, There is a Japanese influence to some of the recipes, so but most of the time you could find that in the international aisle of a major grocery store. So I hope that people start thinking about scraps just as other ingredients that they're not anything out of the ordinary or strange. I think listeners are going to love this. I think you dropped a ton of golden seeds today that people are going to take away and be like, Oh, I want to incorporate some more scraps into my diet. And cause I think it's got to be better for the planet to not be wasting so much food and also help us with our money, you know, because people, a lot of the things we talk about on my show is the high cost of produce. So if you can stretch your dollars a little bit further and, um, and just, uh, probably some creative influence and just trying new things. Yeah. Like you said, I mean, it's good for the planet and it's good for our pocketbook. So it's just a win-win all around. I love that. Uh, okay. Well, here's my final question. So if there's one change you, Lindsay Jean, would like to see to create a greener world, what would it be? For example, is there a charity organization you're passionate about or project you'd like to see put into action? Like what do you feel is the most crucial issue facing our planet in regards to the environment, either locally, nationally, or on a global scale? Um, well, I would say that food waste is an incredibly big problem. Um, 40% of food in the United States is going uneaten. Um, so, you know, not only are we just wasting that food um, and throwing away the equivalent of hundreds of billions of dollars, we're unnecessarily filling landfills. So, you know, I think there are a number of things that we could be doing um, to fix that. Um, the EPA has a food recovery hierarchy to help us think about like what we should be doing with all of these scraps um, from you know reducing the volume of extra food that we're growing to feeding people to feeding animals to turning it into energy to composting and at the very bottom of the la- that list is landfill but that's where the vast majority of it is going right now so it's something that we can all do better with. And one of those things is starting in our own kitchens. So uh, if you don't want it, or if this isn't your thing, but I feel like a lot of, so I'm working on this garden course and like my first chapter is all about building healthy soil and composting and why people should be composting. And I just feel like one reason we should be composting is just because I don't think it's good to put, food into the landfill because it doesn't help right doesn't decompose organically in the landfill it like creates more methane gas and carbon that's not good going out into the atmosphere and like do you have anything to say about that Uh, yeah i would absolutely agree i mean i um watched the documentary wasted not too long ago and i was just blown away they were talking about like how long a head of lettuce took to break down in a landfill and it was like 20 years or something like it blew my mind like that not having access to air and light like just makes that process take so much longer and like you said it's reducing so many of these gases that are harmful to our environment so it just yeah, there's no benefit at all to 
throwing our food away and letting it go into the landfill. So yeah, eating it ourselves, um, or using it for other things like energy or like at home composting is a much better use for that, for the environment and for your garden and for your wallet. I know Mike's already on my case about, we need some dirt. Can you get us some dirt? I'm ready to, you know, get going to be putting seeds in the ground soon. So, uh, (laughs) to me, it's like, Oh my God, you know how much money we're throwing in the garbage. But anyway, how about an inspirational tip or quote to help motivate listeners to reach into the dirt and start their own garden? I would say to just give it a try. Like, don't hold back and wait until you read a certain book or feel like you know enough to do it to just get out and try and experiment. Awesome. Thanks so much for sharing with us today, Lindsay Jean. So now tell listeners, how do they connect with you? Do they go to Food 52 or do you have your own website with the book or where's, like, is it at Workman Publishing or where's the best place for listeners to learn more about you? Um, You can find me on social media. I'm um, most active on Instagram, um, but I'm also on Facebook and Twitter as well. All of those are just Lindsay Jean Hard. And the book is available online and at local stores anywhere books are sold. Uh Let's tell them how to spell Lindsay Jean Hart. Like, is there a day? De- is it L-I-N-D-S-A-Y-J-E-A-N? J- it's L-I-N-D-S-A-Y-J-E-A-N-H-A-R-D. Okay. So at Lindsay Jean Hart, just all spelled out like that. And yep. tell them the name of the book again. It's Cooking with Scraps. Turn your peels, cores, rinds, and stems into delicious meals. Okay, and when you get the book, make sure you go to Amazon and leave a five-star review there because uh, I know you're going to love it and that will help other people find Lindsay Jean's amazing words that will help us save our planet. Thank you so much. Thank you. Freegardencourse.com. Uh, Mike and I have developed some lessons to help you create your very own organic oasis We'll guide you through the steps to build your perfect natural landscape, an edible earth-friendly yard, a sustainable deep bed garden, or even start a small profitable market farm. We'll show you how to save time, lower your produce bill, collect usable data, eat healthy nutritious food with minimal labor, um, use the most effective and efficient production methods currently being used in backyard gardens as well as market farms, and maybe even help you find some profitable markets. We've designed it to save you time, lower your produce bill, and help you eat healthy, nutritious food. Um, there's checklists, there's outside reading, video assignments. Uh, you can join the online Facebook community where there's lots of people from around the world to help you get your garden started today. So remember, freegardencourse.com. Hey there, green future growers. Would you like your friends and neighbors to create an organic oasis too? Would you like others in your area to learn about earth-friendly practices for their gardens and yards? If so, we would love it if you would share the Organic Gardener podcast with your local community or college radio station today. Thanks again for listening and remember, grow local.